Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pastor Hagen Lister here at Word of Faith Outreach Center in Joaquin, Texas. If you'd like to join us in person, all of our service times, contact information, and a map to our physical location is on our website. That's www.woftx.com. You can also watch past live streams or watch us live on our Facebook page, WFTX. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, you might find some of this stuff graphic. I've never talked about the things I'm going to talk about this morning in public. There's things in this message, came out with it and said it, whatever he had for me to say, ground the cover. I want you to know that I'm fairly well traveled, talk to new people. It's not something I'm good at. It's something I've had to work on for years and years because I found out early on in, I guess you could say ministry, I'm not really, I've never been in full-time ministry. You know, I've taught in youth and preached in some churches and I've been to Bible college and things like that. But, but the, the more I, I wanted to reach people and the more I wanted to reach people for Christ, the more I was with people getting to know people, asking them. And I found this out. You can look at, everybody's got a phone now, you can look at Facebook and you can find that people will dump their guts on you. All you have to do is strike up, strike up a conversation and then just stand there. And sooner or later, they're going to start telling you things that you, some stuff you don't even want to know. They will, they will come out with it. So I've had to kind of learn over the years how to, how to communicate with people, how to, how to carry on a conversation, and then start listening. I think that's why me and the pastor have such a good friendship, because, you know, I just don't like to talk. And him, he likes to talk a little bit more than I do. So, you know, we'll get in a conversation. I just sit there and drink my coffee. I'm like, hmm? We get along great, don't we? I mean, it, it's worked out all these years. So I found out that if, if I can get, in a, get people in a conversation and start talking to them and then just kind of shut up, I can find out where they're at. And once I kind of find out what's going on in their life, then I can figure out, well, do you need prayer? What do you need? You know, you can kind of figure out what people need. You can, I mean, you don't even have to pray for them right there. You can go home and pray for them. If you're, not, if you're not into praying in public or whatever, sometimes it takes people a while to work up to that. So being well-traveled, something I do when I move to a new place and, and even just when I travel somewhere, I'll just drive around. I'll just drive around for hours. I'll just driving through neighborhoods and just taking things in visually. And it used to drive Tammy crazy. We'd go on a trip and she's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going in this neighborhood. She's like, why? Oh, I don't know. I just want to see what's in here. She's like, lock the doors. You know? And I mean, I'll go anywhere. I don't care. Just drive around. I just take things in visually. I, I see kind of see how people live, you know, and see who's, who's out mulling around in the middle of the day, you know, who, just checking people out and just, uh, the next thing I do when I get somewhere is I'll start talking to people. I've taken everything in visually, then I start talking to people and just trying to strike up conversations with people. And like I said, you can figure out where people are at. They'll, they'll tell you their life story. So last time we were going, this is the third time I've lived here, by the way. Last time we were going, we were going for six years. Six years, we come back, and I did the same thing I always do. I just go drive around, just driving and driving and driving, taking in things visually. The next thing I did was get into conversations with people. 
And I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of new people since I've been back, talk to a lot of people. And there's three things I found when I came back. And I want to talk to you about them three things this morning. The first thing I found when I came back was an increase in drug abuse. Now, I'm talking about in this, this area. I'm not talking about just Joaquin or just Logansport. I'm talking about this, this area, San Augustine area that we're in. First thing I found was an increase in drug abuse. Now, I did my research before I, before I came and preached this message just to make sure that I'm not crazy, and I'm not. I did my research, and it's not just here. It's all over the United States. And it has grown exponentially in the past three years. I'm talking meth, heroin, fentanyl, opioids, the whole gauntlet. That's the first thing I found when I came back. You say, well, how do you know? I mean, how do you know when you're looking? I, I, can, spot a, I can spot a drug addict a mile away. Why? Because I was one. I lived it for years, over a decade. Some of y'all might not know that about me. Um, my teenagers that were in my youth group, you know, mine and Tammy's youth group, they know because I talked about it all the time. And I drilled some things in their heads about drugs and alcohol. So when I say I know what drug addiction is, I know that was my life before I came to this church. Uh, Y'all know the clean and sober me. Y'all know the nice me that stands in the foyer and drinks coffee with you. You don't know the old me. I was a drug addict. I've never told this story before. But I was found dead in a bathtub in a filthy bathroom of a dope house. The people that found me, they said that I had all my clothes on, laying in the tub with the shower spraying on me, cold water, and a house with no heat. And I was as blue as that Bible right there. They said both my eyes were black like I'd been hit with a sledgehammer. My fingernails were so purple they were almost black. And they said when they pulled me out of the tub, I was in the same shape that I was in in the tub. I was just like a, like a rock. One of the people that found me, kind of strange, was a guy that I grew up with in church. Me and him were in the same youth group. He was a few years older than me. Great big guy, about 6'3", 250, big dude. He was a lifeguard. He happened to be coming by this dope house to find me to buy drugs from me. I knew CPR. So they got me out of the tub and did CPR on me. I mean, no pulse. Changing? No. I was 17 years old. This would go on for over another decade. The second thing that I found when I came back here was an increase in alcohol abuse. And these, these two things I'm talking to you about, this doesn't just affect a certain group of people. It affects a lot of people. 
soccer moms, working class dads, grandparents, CEOs of companies, homeless people, people that live in $2 million houses. It doesn't matter. It affects everybody. The opioid abuse that, that, that has plagued America for the past 20, 30 years, it, do, it doesn't care who it affects. It affects everybody. The alcohol abuse, that's across the board. I'm not going to bore you with the statistics, but it's actually on the rise in the evangelical church. In the past five years, it has grown at an unprecedented rate in the church. These are, these are people that have been, some of them been in church their whole life. And people have asked me, well, well isn't, isn't addiction, isn't it a, a disease? It's been labeled that. But actually, recent studies and some of the stuff that's coming out now, now that people are finding, they're finding out that addiction is not really a disease. It's a response to something. It's a response to trauma. It's a response to people feeling rejection. It's a response to remorse. It's a response to something in their life that they can't deal with. That's where it comes from. And when I started listening to some of these new doctors that are finding some of this stuff out, I started reliving some things in my mind, going back and thinking about things. Yes, yes, it's covering something up. It's trying to escape something. It's a... It's a response to something in, in a person's life that they just they couldn't deal with. So the reason that people, the reason that drug addiction and, and alcoholism is on the rise is because there's things in people's life they can't deal with. They don't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. So yes, I was a raging alcoholic, and this all started at a young age. This, you know, I know people drink in their teenage years. This started before my teenage years. And the rehabs didn't work. The 12-step programs didn't work. I missed the first 30 days of my senior year in high school because I checked myself in a rehab trying to get clean. I stayed clean two weeks. And, you know, this time they found me in this bathtub. You know, you would think that that would scare somebody into changing. It happened again two years later in a kitchen. The people that found me didn't know what to do. They ran outside screaming. The guy that lived next door to me, he was just a mechanic, worked at a car dealership. He runs over. It just so happened three days before that, the company made all their employees take a CPR course. You never convinced me that that was a coincidence. My sister... Same thing, alcoholic, in and out of rehabs. She deals with a pretty serious psychological issue that she takes medication from. Most likely it was from a drug overdose. Um, my whole family's sober now, by the way. Mom, dad, me, my sister. Uh, my sister and I, we both had successful careers. Uh, She's a scientist. Uh, she worked at Johns Hopkins for eight years, got a master's degree there. Uh, she works for a company that designs medical devices. Smart kid. We both deal with psychological issues. She treats hers with drugs. I pray in tongues. 
That's how I deal with mine. That's the only thing I've ever found that worked. I, I tried all the medications, everything they put me on, you know, all the programs. Um, the only thing I found to stay sober and in my right mind is the praying tongues. That's it. That's how I deal with it. Her, she chooses to take the medicine that they gave her, and she, she's okay. She functions. She has a great job. The third thing I found was a social, here a social, uh, socioeconomic gap. That's nothing new. That's in small towns everywhere. But there's a, there's a thing where if people feel like they're less than somebody else, you know, thing, things are more pronounced in a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody sees everything. Everybody sees what kind of car you drive. You know what kind of house they live in. They know where you work. You know where I work. They think they know how much money you have. You think you know how much money they have. You know, small town. Everybody knows everybody. A socioeconomic gap in a small town is more pronounced because we see everything. And in some people, it causes resentment. Resentment, remorse, um, jealousy sometimes. But it also causes some people to feel desperation. And that desperation leads to these other two subjects I I just talked about. Now I want to clarify something. Whatever God has blessed you with, don't ever, ever feel guilty about it. Because guilt is a tool that the devil uses to take your mind off of praising God for what he's done in your life. Don't ever feel guilty for what God has given you. If you're blessed by God, everybody in this room is blessed. We're, I think we all ate breakfast. We all got clothes on. We're in a nice church. We're blessed by God. Don't ever feel guilty for something God gave you. Use it for his kingdom. So these three subjects I'm talking about, where does that leave us? I want to show you some scripture that uh, really over the years has fascinated me. And I didn't know the meaning of it until somebody showed it to me. Luke, Luke chapter 1. And I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation, if anybody's wondering. Luke chapter 1. Um, Mary is pregnant with Jesus and she went to her cousin Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist and they go and meet. And and, uh, if you're wondering how Jesus and John the Baptist is kinfolk, that's how. So John the Baptist's dad, Zechariah, God took his voice so he couldn't talk until they go to have John the Baptist circumcised. And the first words that he spoke was a prophecy. And this is the last prophecy that we read about Jesus before he's, he's born. So I'm going to start in verse, uh, I'm going to start in verse 67. <clears throat> then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. 
He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called a prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. He's he's speaking about John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist went out into the wilderness and said, prepare the way for Jesus. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. Now, don't you look at this piece of scripture here. To give light to those who sit in darkness. Now, go to Matthew chapter 4. This is another prophecy. It's a prophecy of Isaiah that's repeated in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, let's start in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth, then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the river Jordan in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Now, these two scriptures... They kind of evaded me for years. I had no idea what they meant. He was sitting in the garden. didn't make any sense to me. Until I was in Bible college one day, and one of our instructors just happened to be on this subject. And he explained it to us. He said, look, he said, think about this. Let's say I got an old barn or a warehouse or something. He's out in the woods, out down in the woods he said I take you and blindfold you and lead you into this this dark building and there's all kind of sharp instruments farm implements and all kind of dangerous stuff in here and we go through this maze and we go around here and I get all the way out in the middle of it and I pull the blindfold off and I say stay here and walk out shut the door and turn the lights off and it's the middle of midnight can't see nothing. You're trying to find your way out, and every time you touch something, it pokes you or it cuts you, or you're bumping your legs around, and there's there's all kind of stuff hitting you in the head. What's the safest thing for you to do? Just sit down. Wait till somebody comes and turns the light on, right? Does that make sense? If you're in a dangerous place like that and you can't see anything, you don't know where to go, you don't know which way to go and every, every way you turn something's hurting you the safest thing to do is just sit down sit down and wait so that's what this scripture is talking about it's talking about people seated in darkness they didn't have a way out of their sin or where they were at the, the situations in their life everything that was going on they had no answers for it the woman with the issue of blood for years she was seated in darkness she didn't know what to do she went to all the doctors and nothing worked. You know, the people that Jesus 
touched in his ministry, until he came along, they were seated in darkness. This is what it says right here. It says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. That great light was Jesus Christ, right? Look at these other two pieces of Scripture. I want to show you something. John chapter 8. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is telling these people, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. What's he saying? He's telling them to get up and walk, isn't he? The people who were, the very people who it just said were seated in darkness, he's telling them, get up, we're going somewhere. And when we leave here, you're going to know which way we're, we're going because I'm the light. Amen. We're getting out of this dangerous barn with all this stuff poking us and cutting us and all that. We're getting out of here. Just follow me. So Jesus says, I'm the light. Now, look at this. Matthew chapter 5. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Let's say, uh, let's start in verse 13. Jesus is, uh, this is a sermon on the mount, and his, his disciples are gathered around him, and he's talking to them. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop. Wait a minute. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he said, you are the light of the world. But he said in John, I'm the light of the world. Now, which is it, Jesus? Is it you or me? Kind of strange, isn't it? The people who have been saved, who've given their life to Jesus, have the light of Christ inside of them. He's not the only light of the world. It's both of us. Remember, he's ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. He left us here to be the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all men to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I want to tell you about two of the most important men that I've ever known in my life. I hold these men on a pedestal like the disciples of Jesus or the apostles that wrote the New Testament. The first man I want to tell you about is a man named Rayvon. We call everybody called him Ray for short. Mr. Ray owned a body shop and I worked for him for about three years. Him and my dad grew up together. Mr. Ray in his younger life was a severe alcoholic. 
He was born with a heart condition. The whiskey made it worse. It almost killed him several times. But Mr. Ray married a Pentecostal woman. And if you know anything about Pentecostal people, they are serious about three things. Getting people saved, getting people filled with the Holy Ghost, and praying for people. They will pray for you until they're out of breath. Mr. Ray's wife, Miss Linda, and the church people prayed Mr. Ray through, and he got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And he went home, and he poured all that liquor down the drain. He was about 30 years old. When I was working for Mr. Ray, he was in his 60s by now. And I thought this man was crazy. He went around singing all day, singing church songs, all these songs about glory and all this, and he was happy and just laughing all the time. And he was always telling, you know, making jokes, messing with you, you know, just happy. And he'd just go around singing these gospel songs all day. I'm like, this man is a nut. And my dad said, yeah, he's a little crazy. But he was always happy and always just, you know, every morning the same. And I've seen him deal with customers, some of them, some irate customers. And he's just cool, you know. I'm like, That's all right. We're going to get it fixed. Praise God. And he's all, everything, praise God this and praise God that. And I thought, this man's a nut. 2003, 2004, 2005, those were the three worst years of my life. And it was during this time I was working for Mr. Ray. And I remember one morning, I was having, I don't know, a nervous breakdown. I was losing it. All the things that I'd been doing for my entire young life were piling up. The problems were piling up. I couldn't deal with stuff. The alcohol and the drugs wasn't working anymore. And I remember one morning I was walking between the office and the shop. And I just stopped and I just was standing there staring at the ground. And Mr. Ray walked up. He said, what's going on, cuz? You know, he's always happy. And I just let him have it. I just told him what was going on. He said, well, that's all right. And he just set his coffee cup down, grabbed my hand, and put his, put his arm around me and just started praying, Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray for my brother right now. Father, he's having these problems, Lord, and he doesn't... And I don't know what that man prayed. Because it actually, it shocked me. I had never seen a grown man pray in public. I'd seen, you know, growing up in a church, I'd seen the pastor down front praying for people to get saved or whatever, you know. But a grown man to grab the hand of another grown man and put his arm around him and start praying, it scared me. Now, I remember feeling better as he was praying. But later on in the day, Mr. Ray came to me and he said, Hey, he said, Hey, cuz, I want to invite you to come pray with me and some men from the church. We have a prayer meeting every Tuesday morning. I said, okay. He said, we eat donuts and drink coffee, and then we pray. He said, it's just about ten of us. I said, well, if these people are as crazy as Mr. Ray, i got to go check them out. I said, i got to, you know, I want to see who these cats are. 
So I went a couple of times. And it was just mostly some older men from the church. I was, I was in my 20s, you know, late 20s. These guys, they were, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. And they just ate donuts and some of them went in the sanctuary. Some of them just walked around out here. And I mean, most of them were praying in tongues. I'd only heard people praying in tongues one time. So you know, I was like, okay. Well, I just sat there kind of quiet doing my, you know. But it's just a bunch of men that got together, got together and prayed. And I thought, well, that's awesome. So I left working for Mr. Ray and took another job. And I was working a lot of nights, so I was home in the daytime a lot. And this was the bottom for me, the lowest, the lowest point in my life. This is where this other man comes into the story, Mr. James. I grew up with Mr. James' daughter. And we ran around together and drank together, did drugs and ran with the same crowd. We were, we were good friends growing up. Mr. James was an alcoholic. Not only an alcoholic, he was an abusive man. He was an, a, an abusive father, an abusive husband. He just wasn't a good person. But I would, I would be at their house quite a bit, and, you know, he would show me how to work on trucks, and, you know, we would, we would go run trot lines together. And Mr. James was always nice to me. He worked with my dad, and I think it's because he respected my dad a lot and all that. He always treated me good. He didn't treat his family good. So at this lowest point in my life, I'm renting a house about a quarter mile from Mr. James. And I had heard from some people, I think maybe his daughter told me that he had gotten saved. Mr. James's mama and Mr. James's wife were full-blooded Pentecostal. And if you know anything about Pentecostal people, <laughs> they prayed Mr. James through. And when I tell you this man was changed, he was a totally different person. He'd come ring my doorbell, just random. He'd see my truck in the driveway. He'd just stop by. Hey, Carl, I just want to invite you down there to Gospel Lighthouse. Come down there and worship with us. You know, we'd love to have you. And, and uh, just, you know, if you need anything, all right. You know, be about a month later, he'd just come by and ring the doorbell. Hey, Carl, how you doing? You know, just come by and invite you down there to the Gospel Lighthouse. You know, and come down there and worship with us. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> he said, you doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing fine which I wasn't. That darkness that we just talked about, it starts out like a big room and it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And it just closes you in until you can't move around. You can't see this way you can see back there. You can see all the stuff around you, which isn't much. But all the things that I'd done in my life had piled on top of me until I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I couldn't work. I had to leave my job. I'm at home. The alcohol is not working. The depression and anxiety that I dealt with my whole life, 
It was doubling every day. Worse and worse and worse and worse. All the people I'd hurt, destroyed relationships, the failed marriage, all of it. It was somehow magnified. So I'd been drinking one morning like usual. About 11 o'clock. I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I went in the bedroom. I got a 45 caliber handgun. I went in the hallway bathroom, shut the door. I didn't even turn the light on. I got in the tub and I pulled the shower curtain back. I put a round in that gun, took the safety off. I put it up to my head. It was over with. That was it. It was the end of the line. As soon as I put my finger on the trigger, a thought came to my mind. I didn't know where it came from at the time. I do now after I was able to go back and think about it. It was God hitting the pause button. And the thought was this. Why is Mr. Ray and Mr. James so happy? It wasn't my thought. It was a thought from somewhere else. Why is Mr. James and Mr. Ray so happy? The next thought was my own. I recognized it. Don't they know how hard all this is? And then another thought. Don't they know how bad life is? And then another thought. Don't they have to deal with stuff? And then another thought. I need to find out what it is that makes them happy. What is it? Where did they get it? How do you get it? And then this weird feeling, like this will, this will to live. Like I want to, okay, I, I, I want to do this. I want to go find whatever they got. Okay, I can do this. And this feeling of like when you're 10 years old and you're sitting in class and you're looking out the window and all you're thinking about is going squirrel hunting Saturday morning. Like, I, I, I wish I could get out of here. And you're thinking about going and riding your bike with your friend. I got out of the bathtub and I put the safety on the gun. I laid it down next to the sink. And I walked out of the bathroom I went rummaging through the house digging through stuff I found a Bible I still don't remember where it came from I think maybe my mom bought it for me or something I got this Bible out and I sat down at the dining room table I didn't, I didn't know how to study a Bible I didn't know where to start I just started Proverbs because I remembered there was a preacher 
that I liked when I was a kid, and he was always preaching out of Proverbs. I said, well, okay, that's a, I guess that's a cool book, so I'll just start there. I just started at chapter 1, just reading Proverbs. I said, whatever they have has got to be in here. You know, it's got to be in this book, so I'm going to find it. And I'd go out on the back patio, and I'd smoke a cigarette, and I'd come back in, and I'd sit down at the dining room table, and I'd read Proverbs. And then I started finding scriptures that I liked. I said, well, I need to find them again. I went digging around in the house. I found one of the big highlighters like that. Nobody ever showed me how to do that. I'd never seen anybody marking a book before. I said, well, you know, if I go to hell for it, I will. You know, here, I'm marking these scriptures. I'd go out on the patio and smoke a cigarette. I'd come back in the house and I'd sit down and I'd read this book. I'd like to tell you that I got sober that very day, but I did not. It took me a while. It took me about another year to get completely sober. And then I found a church with some people that loved me and took me under their wing. So who were those two men? Mr. James and Mr. Ray. They were a light in darkness. The hands and feet of Jesus. And you say, well, if it wasn't for them two men, would you be here? No. I wouldn't. Their obedience to God and their desire to see people saved and to keep people's foot out of hell is the very thing that got me to take my finger off of that trigger. Years later after Tammy and I were married I took her to meet Mr. Ray and Miss Linda and they had built a new house. Mr. Ray had retired and sold his business to his son and Miss Linda showed us around her nice house, and it was pretty, you know. And we sat on the back porch with Mr. Ray and drank coffee. And I had the opportunity to tell him what God had done in my life. I presented myself to him sober, in my right mind, full of the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget the joy on that man's face and him praising God. And before we left, him and Miss Linda, they held hands with us, prayed with us. Mr. James, he was harder to catch because he's always running trot lines. I had to call him. Just two old country boys from the piney woods of Bulgard Parish. Just normal folks. One of them worked on cars in the yard and worked at the plant with my dad and ran trot lines. The other one owned a body shop, painted vehicles. A couple old country boys. Every single person here has a calling on their life. With that calling is a gift. Some people have multiple gifts. I don't. (laughs) 
I'm not even a good public speaker. I get very nervous doing this. Everyone has a calling, and that calling has a gift with it. It's our job to find out what that is. It's his job to help you perfect it and to hone it, both of them. It's what the fivefold ministry gifts are for. It's for equipping the saints. For giving you what you need to take what you get in here out there to them. Stand up on your feet. Father, we love you. We love you, Lord God. You're good to us, Father. You've blessed us in so many ways, Lord. You've gave us a wonderful church, Father, with great pastors. And Father, we're grateful for everything that we have, Father. Everything you've done in our lives, Father, everything you're going to do. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you something. Is there anybody here that wants to do more for God, to touch more lives, to reach more people? Is there anybody here that wants to see more people saved? And more people coming through the doors here to, to worship with us and to, to hear a message with us and to be part of our Christian family. Is there anybody here that wants to reach people more? If there, if there is, just raise your hand. I'm not going to make you come down front or anything. There's a lot of hands going up. You know, that's, a, that's really our only job is to expand the kingdom of God. I mean, we have to raise our families and take care of each other and we have to take care of our church family. But the end result of everything we do is about other people. The music, the nice church, all the books we've read about prosperity over the years. It's all about other people. It's all about expanding God's family. Keeping people's foot out of hell. That's why we do this. Pray this with me. Say, Father, I love you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit, Father. Lord, teach me in my heart what you would have me to do for you 
for your kingdom, for your family. I thank you for leading me, Father, and giving me the tools I need. And your Holy Spirit so that I can get people saved and into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thanks for joining us today. We hope that this podcast blessed you. Uh, If you'd like to contact us, all of our contact information or come see us, uh, all of our location information is on our website, www.woftx.com. We hope to see you soon.